The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. Let me kick it off with the buzz. The buzz is the X's have it. I know you're thinking of the old phrase, the I's have it. Well, this is the letter X. The X's have it. Let me tell you why. Today, the consumer experience is undergoing an ongoing transformation as savvy companies simplify how they work with us as customers. Why? They want us to have a good, pleasurable experience. They want us to come back. They want us to be loyal. Well, at the heart of this, it's a good thing. But however, it could be a double-edged sword. Why, you ask? Because consumers' demands for simple daily user experiences, which we'll call UX, yes, there's the first X, in our daily lives could drive us to insist on comparable simplicity in the worker experience. We'll call that WX. Now you have both Xs from the companies they and we work for. So they, I mean you, I mean us, I mean me, I mean everybody on this panel today. So here's a heads up, a reality check for employers who are listening. If your company is focusing only on creating a great external customer experience, but ignoring the needs of your internal customers and your workers of the future, you may be in for a shock. Get ready, as I introduce our panel in just a minute, to learn the best practices from outward-facing UX simplification, I know that's a mouthful, that you can leverage to inwardly help improve WX. There we have it. So first up on our panel, I'm happy to introduce Paul Kirchina. That's Kirchina with a K. He's an America's SAP user group. Those of you in the know, that's ASUG, subject matter expert, focusing on community building. And here's the quote from Paul. He sent me a quote from Andre Gide. I read Gide when I was studying French in college way back when. And this quote is referenced in the book, Steal Like an Artist. Here's the quote. Everything that needs to be said has already been said. But since no one was listening, everything must be said again. That just sounds like the way we are in life today. Paul Kirchino, welcome. How are you today? <laughs> doing, doing great, Bonnie. Yeah, it's, 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 we are in life very much in terms of, you know, it goes back to the point, you know, is anything really truly original? Um, you know, and I love that book, Steal Like an Artist, because it talked a lot about the fact that, you know, artists understand that nothing really comes from nowhere. Um, you know, that all creative work builds on what came before it, and nothing is completely original. Um, you know, we're inundated with so many things today from so many different places. Um, and I think many, sometimes we even miss those gems that we can transfer across different areas. Um, things like user experience. Um, you know, we look at the consumer world. Um, that's a prime example. I mean, we're taking things in that space. Um, you know, look what Apple has done from an experience side. 
and really taking that into the whole um, workers' world as well. Okay, thank you very much. Interesting. Um, Do you think the workers are going to mutiny, Paul? Do you think we're going to say, I'm not going to work this week because everything is just too difficult at work and I have it much better using my iPhone and my iPad and going out there in the world and doing what I want as a shopper and as a browser and my employer is not treating me with respect. Do you think there's actually going to be a mutiny or is this a a slow trend that's just coming up uh, a groundswell, if you will? What do you observe? Well, the the mutiny is already happening because basically I I know of companies where when people leave the organizations on their exit interview, they're saying they left because of the user experience. You know, it's kind of funny, but I use the example. If I was a lumberjack and I was given like a handsaw versus a chainsaw, I mean, that's two totally different user experiences. And, you know, what's happening as well today is our tools are becoming so personal and, you know, very much of who we are mm-hmm. that I think that aspect of us wanting to have our own personal toolkits and whole user friendliness of those toolkits is definitely extending um, into our work lives. Very, very interesting. Uh, just a side note, as Carrie Brown knows, she's been on the show many times and she's our third panelist today. I have a radio studio in my home office. I get to use most of my own equipment and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm completely spoiled. I know the tools I need. I know the connections I need in order to run five radio shows a week. So I'm one of those very spoiled employees, Paul Kachina, who knows what I need and I made it happen. But when you're in an office setting, you have people looking at you, people watching you, telling you what company-approved equipment you can and can't have, what you can and can't bring to work. Am I right? It's a different different thing. Well, well we're bringing our networks to work and everything we do, and now we actually want to bring our personalized tools in as well. There you go. Thank you very much. Great intro. Let's go to our second panelist. I'm pleased to welcome Duke Daling. He's an executive in IBM's Smarter Workforce Business. Very appropriate for our topic. And Duke sent me a quote from Tina Fey from the chapter called A Mother's Prayer for Her Child in Tina's memoir, Bossy Pants. I've got to get the book, Duke. I just love this quote. Here's the quote. Lead her away from acting, but not all the way to finance. Something where she can make her own hours, but still feel intellectually fulfilled and get outside sometimes and not have to wear high heels. I think she's talking to me. Hi, Duke Daling. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Talk to me about this quote. Fascinating. I never expected Duke Daling from IBM to send me a quote from Tina Fey's memoir, really. So tell me, how does this fit our topic? Because I love the quote. Go ahead. Well, first of all, Tina Fey is a genius, and most of her best quotes are laced with profanity, and I don't know you well enough to use those yet, uh, but maybe some <laughs> other time. Uh, in, all, in, all, in all seriousness, there's, a, there's an underlying message, and a lot of underlying messages in that statement. Uh, for me, the primary one is about finding the right role for the right person to help them do the best work of their career, and the characteristics about the work, the work itself, the workplace, and targeting the things that people are born to do, what their preferences are, and combining it with the business needs is a real, it's a really, it's a balancing act. And when you get it right, it can be amazing for individuals, families, communities, and teams, organizations. And this is a, a management mantra for me and a winning formula to uh, build teams and accomplish pretty cool things. 
Thank you very much. Very, very good points all. Thank you, Duke. And again, I'm going to go get that book. I wonder if she'll autograph it for me. What can I say? Carrie Brown, I don't know if you've read Bossy Pants, but I think we can, I can share the book with you if you haven't. Carrie Brown is the head of strategy and alliances for SAP Americas. And Carrie sent me an interesting quote from A.H. Weiler, 1901 to 2002, who was a 50 year long New York Times editor and critic. Here's the quote, and this rings true for many of us in life. Nothing is impossible for the man. I should say also a woman, who doesn't have to do it himself. Carrie, welcome back. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Talk to me about this quote from A.H. Weiler. It's Weiler's Law. That's how important it is. Well, I think it's, it's interesting when you think of, you know, we ha- you don't really know somebody's life until you walk a mile in their shoes, and it's really easy to consider what somebody's job might need to be or how they might need to get that work done if you're not the one actually doing the work. And I think one of the challenges when you look at UX versus WX is you're trying, as you design something, to anticipate what somebody might need. But truly, back to the personalization point that Paul was making, until you really understand exactly what somebody needs, you might not be designing the right answer. Carrie, do you think big organizations are able to think about, pay attention to, and even want to care about some workers' needs? Really? What's the truth? I think they are beginning to, and I think they are doing it more and more and more. And certainly as you look at the consumer experience that Paul was mentioning, if you look at the worker experience that Duke was mentioning, you know, the, the requirements for organizations and corporations to not only technologically but role-wise make people satisfied and engage employees is becoming much, much more a requirement and much, much more of a realization. I'd certainly say that the trend around talent management has grown tremendously in the last couple of years, and the requirement with regard to technology in terms of consumerization has changed expectations, and that's only going to accelerate as we go forward with the demographic changes in the workforce. Thank you, and I'm going to ask you a quick question. Carrie knows I love to talk about generational differences in the four or five generations now working side-by-side in the workforce. Is this move, I want my tools, I want my job to be efficient, I want to be able to do what I need to do, and I want everything my way, is this coming from the millennials, the post-millennials? Is it, are you hearing this in the ranks of the boomers and the Gen Xs? Where is this coming from, or everybody, Carrie? I think it's everybody now. I think certainly it's been accelerated, and the catalyst of of the digital natives of of the millennials is pushing us ahead more quickly. But everybody now has a consumer experience in their day-to-day life as an individual, and they want to have that same ease and that same personalization, that same simplicity when they come to work. And that's that's you, that's me, that's everybody. We've all got that same ease-of-life requirement that we want to bring to work. Mm Interesting. So a company has two audiences, the external and the internal, which I mentioned in my opening. Guess what? Thank you, Carrie Brown. I'm going to circle back to Paul Kerchina at ASUG. And, Paul, I'm going to ask you a very key question. What are you drinking right now? What's in your cup today? And if it's nothing that interesting, humor me and tell me what you're going to be drinking after the show. Go ahead, Paul. Well, I'm actually drinking green tea because I'm actually coming off a very long six or seven days at South by Southwest Interactive in Austin. Um, very long days, and um, you know, if anyone hasn't been to South South by Southwest, it's a cool technology event. And actually, what's cool and relevant to this event is user experience being everywhere. The conversation from you know the consumer world to the corporate world to fashion, even to Internet of Things. You know, I got to mm. tell you a funny little story. I was standing to wait into uh, a session on medical technology and user experience, and uh, someone came up to the uh, attendant at the door and asked them. Can you tell me where the robot petting zoo is? 
I just had to do a double take on that. <laughs> a robot petting zoo. Get out! And, and did you know? Not. Did you see it? Did you go there? Oh, I did. In terms of, just imagine your standard petting zoo. Instead, you have robots and people going in and, and to pet the robots. It was just too now, funny. Now, were the robots in the shapes and forms of animals in a traditional petting zoo, Paul, or were they just robots? Just robots of all different types and for all different purposes. I'm going to say something you're probably going to hate me for. Somebody has too much time on their hands to design <laughs> that. I'm sorry. That's, that's just well, wrong. Just things wrong. Things changing. Oh, my goodness. Thinking outside the box, thinking inside the robot. What can I tell you? Thank you. Duke Daling, what are you drinking today? Espresso, no milk, no sugar. Beans from a shop called Stumptown on my street uh, where they're kind of coffee artists. I, uh, I spoiled myself moving to New York City a couple of months ago from London and got myself a, a very serious coffee machine to feed my habit. Ooh, habit. you want to tell us about the coffee machine? Is it, a, is it hard to – does it have a good user experience? It is. It's a one-button experience where it filters the water, grinds the beans, pushes out whatever strength of coffee you want. And for me, my strength is strong because my habit is sort of about uh, adrenaline. Uh, mm-hmm. My personal wiring, my wiring might be viewed as abnormal. People that know me might characterize me as polarizing. And I'm either on full-on enthusiastic mode or asleep. And if you study professional <laughs> hockey or rugby, you might get a similar effect. They're either smashing into life or napping. And both are glorious. Wow, that seems like a mantra for living very well, burning the candle at both ends, but doing it extremely well. When you sleep, you really sleep. That's what I'm looking for, those few precious hours to do that really well. And I agree with you on the adrenaline and the rush and the wired and always on. Yes, I knew I liked you when I met you on the prep call. And let's turn to Carrie Brown, who is always welcome on the show. Carrie, what are you drinking? Where are you today? I'm actually at home, Bonnie, and as as you know, I travel quite a bit, so I'm being mm-hmm. very well behaved, and I made my own smoothie with kale and blueberries and Ooh. all sorts of goodness, so I'm I'm giving myself a, a rejuvenating drink since I'm back at I home. I love it. What else is in it besides kale and blueberries? Anything interesting? Any herbs or spices or sweetening, Carrie? Uh, there's this place in Atlanta called Arden's Garden that sells power fuel, and it is all of the seeds and things that you should have to make you better and healthier. And so I I buy that and put it in so I don't have to think about it myself. (laughs) I like that very much. I have a note here on the chat window from David Fowler at SAP who sponsors this series. He says, in my cup today, Newman's Own Organic Special Blend Coffee from my Keurig. I'm glad you're using your Keurig, David. I haven't used mine in a, in about two weeks, and I'm off my adrenaline rush from caffeine. I just have to get a natural high now. If anybody's wondering, I'm not drinking water today. I just had a my own version of a banana smoothie, uh, about six ounces of cold skim milk, one ice cube, a shake of nutmeg out of the little box, half a banana, and a healthy dose, a squirt of medium grade, I guess it's an amber agave, blended in a quick blender, a couple of taps, and it goes down really, really well. That's my version of a smoothie and a healthy shake. There you go. Guess what? We're talking today about user experience versus worker expectations. And the shorthand is UX versus WX. Will there be more of a groundswell of a mutiny of the workers in your company saying, we want it our way, we want it the way we experience life, simplicity every day, we 
want to bring that experience to work. Like it or we're leaving you. We're going to find out more. My panel today, very experienced in this topic, Paul Kerchina, America's SAP user group. That's ASUB. Duke Daling at IBM Smarter Workforce Business, and Kerry Brown, the Head of Strategy and Alliances for SAP Americas. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. This is episode number 13 on season two, and good news is Dave Fowler has renewed, so there'll be no stopping this series. We'll be coming back in a couple weeks with season three. Very delighted. So we're going to take a break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. Welcome back, and we're here talking about the X's have it. That's the, not the X's, the UX versus the WX. No, this is not a show about the state of matrimony. Here we go. I'm going to start the roundtable with Paul Kerchina from ASUG. And Paul sent me some very interesting notes before the show. And he, I'm going to read this uh, comment and then Paul will expand it. He says, the mind shift, mindset shift from making the experience easy for corporate IT, and that's in quotes, easy for corporate IT to set up and run, shifting to easy for the workers, in quotes, to use and make their lives easier. Great design, ha, is not just for the fashion industry anymore. A lot of good points in there. Paul, why don't you expand us and let's get started. You know, I'll, I'll go back for first back bit, bit in time. Uh, when I was a, a, a customer with a, a, a major utility in Canada, I mean, when we rolled out systems, enterprise-wide systems, our philosophy was, you know, one UI for all. Um, let's make mm-hmm. it easy for IT to administer and support, um, and, and not really thinking about or recognizing the needs of the individual users. And, you know, not even thinking or caring that, you know, it was user-friendly, um, they got what they got. You know, roll forward, it's presented a little more challenge today for, for corporate IT, the IT organizations, I think, now are starting to get it, the fact that they need to think of really the workers in the organizations, where they work, what they do. You know, are they in an office? Are they in a plant environment? You know, do they roll between the, the, the two? 
And you really need to understand their work environment. You know, do they need to work hands-free? You know, are they climbing poles? You know, are they in noisy environments next to equipment? So that mindset shift in terms of not just giving user experience, but understanding, you know, where they work and how they work is one change that's sort of going on. So, yes, it means more work for IT, but it actually means greater productivity, and that's the whole thing around user experience. You know, it's not just sort of looks nice and is cool, but it really greatly improves productivity. And here's something that they're really totally having change. You know, and this, you know, imagine IT, as, as we've all known it, actually happen, hiring, you know, designers into their organizations. Interesting. Uh, we did a show recently, Paul, about design thinking in terms of creating workspaces that lead people to be innovative, to have that creative confidence so that they can have sustainable innovation in companies to move them forward in this day and age where everything is just crazy and moving very quickly and competition is, is soaring. So uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued. We're talking now about the ease of the user experience in the context of how do you make the environment easy for them to work, and, and if you couple that with the design thinking of what does the environment do for them to make them creative while they're working with ease, I think we have the whole package. Thank you, Paul. Duke Daling, love to hear what you have to say on this. Well, since, since Paul was hearkening back to the old, to days of yore, we, um, the word job has only been around about 400 years you know, to pay uh, initially taxes to royalty, and then once commerce got set up and people became in the agrarian society more uh, focused on bartering and trading and moving into the industrial age, then wages came about. And with that, the the workforce grew, right? But now mm-hmm. we're seeing this trend of an independent worker really on the rise. Last year, 30% of U.S. workers identified themselves as a no-collar worker. So not blue-collar, not white-collar, but a no-collar worker. And that is uh, steadily increasing. And freelancing consulting is not new, but usually it was reserved for people that were later on in their careers as experts that were hired out to do specific jobs and projects. Well, with with current uh, demands and freedoms, people are able to uh, manifest this at at an earlier age, even teenage years, as their own expertise. And no one, if, if you don't have an, a UI that is available for everyone to use that's open and with lots of freedom in the APIs and the integrations across workers and the types of work that gets done in all sorts of knowledge workers and labor workers, you'll find that you'll, you'll lose the best talent because the best talent's going to be contracted, uh, unfortunately. And that's Do, sort of my, my Interesting, interesting. I just looked up No Collar. I just Googled it, and I found an interesting article. Carrie, just bear with me before I bring mm-hmm. you in here, and, and you can comment on this. I'm looking at the different categories. I didn't know this. A green-collar worker is someone who holds an environmentally friendly job, like working at a hydropower plant. Okay. Yellow-collar is people in the creative field, filmmakers, developers, photographers, and they can do both white and blue-collar tasks outside of e- in either category. A light-blue-collar, I didn't even know it existed, is a temp worker. 
Light blue is a combination of white and blue. An orange collar are prison workers. Okay. Uh, what is this? Orange is the new black. Open collar is people who work from home. I guess I'm an open collar. Silk collar is Westerners going to Asia for work opportunities. And no collar is a term coined by the TV show Survivor Worlds Apart. I think it's in the current version now. And it's a free spirit Fascinating. Never thought about that. Carrie, thoughts on all of these collars? And, and back to our topic of easy for corporate IT versus easy for the workers. What do you see? I think what's really interesting is that we were looking at some research on the future of work and that only 50% of workers think they have the skills they need in the next three years. And so when you think about that, it's how do you equip people to be as flexible and fluid as Duke described and how as an organization can you give them the skills and the capability to insert themselves in your organization and be effective? And that's, you know, there's so much more change. I, I sort of marvel at how did companies make money 30 years ago because we're all so efficient now and, gee, we still seem, seem to be trying to drive profits. Well, granted, we now have, you know, quarterly business that's focused on shareholders. But when you consider how do you have people move in and out of your organization and how do you give them the right, experience, both as a worker and the UI that they're getting, but then also get the productivity that you need for your organization to be successful. It's really quite challenging. And so when you look at the people side of it, aside from not knowing what they need, they believe that companies only have 30% of the capabilities to actually provide what they need. So you also look back to individuals need to be so self-sufficient, and I think that's really part of what brings that expectation of I want to bring the ability that I have as an individual to the enterprise to be successful because I need that. I need that immediacy of information. I need that immediacy of, of success. Well, Terry, if I could just add to that for a Please second. Please do. You know, it's in- interesting. Go ahead. A, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a major aerospace, aerospace defense company, and they have about 170,000 people now. Um, they told me in the next five or six years, they're going to lose 100,000 of those people. And I mean, and, and they can't steal from other industries or they'll cripple the industry. They have to figure out ways of making it easier, almost like no training required for people to come in and, you know, use, their, use the tools as well as be able to tie into all the, you know, their limited pool of experts on almost an on-demand basis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, actually, when you look, Bonnie, you were mentioning design thinking. Mm-hmm. And design thinking, by definition, is sort of a human-centered approach to technology. And, and many other things, but in, in this discussion, is looking at it from what is the role, what is the person's job. And we consider that, ideally, you can get to what Paul's suggesting, where you can come in and somebody can instantly wizard their way through work. The challenge is, how do you do that successfully for so many people? And really, technology is what's allowing us to give that specificity of work and that immediacy, because you can be so targeted and personalized with the tasks and the requirements and the coaching, and technology really allows us that ease. Interesting. I'm, I'm listening to – I just want to make a comment here. It, it, where is the barrier between an employee coming in with an attitude or ego? I can't do this. You didn't give me the right iPad. You didn't give me – I'm in a noisy environment versus this is good for the business. Carrie, you just want to address that, and then I'll ask the other panelists. Where, where does the ego of the employee now fit into the, wow, we're going to make life easier for our employees, and they deserve it? What do you see? I think the reality is you're going to see the numbers that Paul just spoke about. Mm -hmm. The the pace of of departure of boomers from the workspace is just magnifying over the course of the last three years, and it's going to peak, I think, in 2021. And when you look at that, the need for talent and the need for 
employee satisfaction and engagement increases. So the, the warfare, if you will, to try and capture that talent is requiring businesses to provide a work environment that's desirable. So it's, it's not necessarily that we want to do that. You know, certainly organizations mm-hmm. don't want their employees to be unhappy, but we need to do that if we wish to have enough employees to get the work done so, so that our business can thrive. Okay. Who did I hear in the background? I interrupted someone, and I apologize. Was that Duke? All right. That's me, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Talk. To add on, to add on Carrie's point, the potent, by 2020, the potential shortage of college-educated workers is projected to be 38 to 40 million, yet there'll be a surplus of low-skilled workers of about, globally, of 90 million. So that'll be about 10% of the global workforce will be underemployed. So making things easy for transferable skill sets to do transactional work in a way that is easy to learn, quick to pick up, and utilizing technology and and kind of adaptable learning uh, for those low-skill workers are going to be a way to, uh, to help organizations manifest their strategy. Okay. Paul, anything you want to say to wrap up this part of the topic? Because I have some interesting notes I want to turn to. Go ahead, Yeah, so Paul. Duke was talking about saying a couple things in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. this need to sort of not just use your experience, but sort of learn easy while you're on the job. You know, I came across this different space, but this, this meditation app called Headspace a couple months ago, designed to teach you mobile device, user-friendly and all that meditation in 10 minutes a day. And it got me thinking wow. in terms of, well, you learn a lot of stuff in 10 minutes a day. And, you know, and delivered to that device in a user-friendly fashion when it's sort of with you, you know, you start thinking of other things you could sort of deliver to people um, via channels like that. Interesting. And what was that again? Did you say Headspace? Is, there Headspace. A, you, is that, Headspace. that a URL? I want Dave Fowler to go take a look at that. Maybe Headspace he'll tweet something. mobile app. Mobile app. Very interesting. Dave, go take a look. Let's see if we can get some tweets on that. Thank you very much. I want to move to some notes from Duke Daling at IBM. A couple of interesting things here. Uh, let's talk about the HR aspect. I think we've been talking around it, but not specifically mentioning HR. You say, Duke, HR matters. Getting HR right truly matters. It's no surprise that CEOs identify growth as their number one concern. When asked last year about the biggest barrier to growth, a majority of CEOs suggested talent, skills, and labor are the biggest barrier. You want to expand that for us, Duke, please? What do you see from IBM? Yeah, so the research that we do, and we study socio-technological economic aspects of work, the workplace, and the workers. And when you contrast specific practices in in organizations such as engagement, leadership, collaboration, skill development, talent management, and you contrast high financial performers versus low financial performers, organizations that rated high on engagement, collaboration, skill development, et cetera, uh, were outperforming the norm uh, very dramatically, a a very statistically significant difference in those areas. And and within that correlations, you can't really look at cause and effect, but it's still very demonstrative of actions that when you get HR right, you have a chance to outperform your competitors. And that's, uh, that's why I'm saying HR truly matters. Carrie, you agree? Carrie Brown? I absolutely agree. And, and I, it's interesting to see, actually, with the variety of organizations that I work with, the focus on talent management. I would say that... You know, we've had previous conversations on the shift of the focus from 
you know, a CIO to a CMO. Really, the CHRO now is becoming so much more significant to the organization because rather than it being about benefits and administration of people, it's around how do you grow and build talent. And along with, you know, our research certainly leads to some of the same findings that Duke mentioned. Uh, ours also looks at simplification. So how do you navigate through running your business more simply? But when you look at the CHRO, the need to capture and retain talent is becoming much more real and much more urgent for every organization. And, you know, along with that, all of this conversation we've had, how do you then capture that talent, train that talent, you know, provide them micro-learning, provide them user performance tools so that we can see how to support them best, and then get to where we can continue to bring in new people and have our business grow and thrive. Because it's really, it's, it, that, that ingredient of employees is becoming much more scarce. Hmm. Paul Kachina, thoughts? So I have to say it's important for a couple of reasons. Probably the most important is, is my wife is a chief human resource officer for a utility company, so I've got to say it's important. <laughs> I, I fundamentally believe it as well. Good, wise of, move, wise move, Paul. Exactly. I don't make many of them, but that's one area that I actually make it in. <laughs> We're very proud um, of you. But engagement in terms of, so the other potential with all this and user experience and then tying in, you know, social collaboration tools as various ways of improving the engagement of employees and organizations. I mean, we've all seen so many reports on how few people are actually engaged in their organizations. So I think, you know, this is another element of deepening that in- engagement with employees. Okay. Duke, anything you want to wrap up on this one? Yeah, one of the terrifying bits, if, so if there's any CHROs like Paul's wife listening, uh, this is this is a, a, a data point that is sometimes startling to people in that role. In last year's study, when we asked about 1,600 CEOs, who do they involve in business strategy? Only, uh, and they and kind of listing out CIO, COO, even chief supply chain officer, of course, chief marketing officer and chief financial officer. CHROs were only involved in the strategic conversations 35% of the time, and people like the CMO are getting double the airtime in the in the boardroom. And trying to move the needle from being a strategy taker to a strategy maker and increasing your value as a business driver through people uh, takes takes a lot of a lot of activity. You know, so not just investment in these things like engagement, collaboration, skill development, but uh, also the use of data and evidence-based HR throughout the life cycle of employees of where do you get your greatest talent and why do the best ones stick around longer and being able to quantify that against specific financial KPIs is uh, sort of the differentiator of when, when great HR uh, happens, it usually has that in the recipe. Thank you. I want to move in a different direction, but carry on. Before I get to some of your, your notes, your talking points, there's something else in Duke's list that I don't think we've covered yet. And let's face it, great to have a good worker experience. Wonderful to say I had a productive day. The company is encouraging me to be innovative. I have the tools. I have the workspace. I have some ability to design how I work. I'm contributing to the bottom line. Let's talk about that bottom line. Ultimately, people work to earn 
a paycheck so they can have a lifestyle they either want right now or something to which they are aspiring. So Duke raises the question, are you paying and retaining your best people fairly? You're paying them fairly. And comments, fairness and equity in pay is the largest dissatisfier of employees leading to disengagement. So let's get down to the bottom line. Duke, how does this play into the worker experience? Ultimately, we're taking a check home where it's waiting for us in direct deposit. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. So how does this play into our conversation? Well, Bonnie, none of us are paid what we're worth, right? I mean, just ask us. He speaks. He speaks the truth. (laughs) (laughs) But sort of tongue-in-cheek. So it's so interesting that the biggest dissatisfier is pay. And there's so many aspects to work, and there's the altruistic components to people would rather work for a cause than a company and people, you know, finding purpose in what they do and having dignity in their job. But if you're going to make somebody really frustrated quickly, it's about fairness and equity. And the biggest driver of that is communication with your first-line manager, a person that has uh, an impact on making you feel like your contribution really matters, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is connected to the big picture, but then also we're giving you the right amount of, of total rewards to get that done and that it's you know, within, within the right span for what you do. And yet we don't train a, a huge, a, a significant portion of managers do not get trained uh, on, how to, on how to communicate that effectively. Uh, it's just sort of an expectation and sort of a rational data point of, yep, here's your pay and 2%, congratulations from last year. You know, it's not really, it's not anything more than just a couple of bullets. We, we should actually figure out a way to make this micro-training, to use uh, Carrie's point earlier, on this year on how you can really emotionally connect with the head, the heart, the hands of the staff related to the biggest dissatisfier. Mm, Carrie Brown, agree, disagree? I absolutely agree. I've spent much of my career focused on organizational change and Years ago, there was a book on sort of how do you motivate people, and in it, completely consistent with Duke's point, the biggest demotivator is feeling underpaid or, or undervalued. And so if you think of somebody who's a really fantastic performer, who's totally engaged, if you paid them twice as much, they wouldn't work twice as hard. But if somebody feels like they're being undervalued or, or under, um, un- under understood, uh, then they're mm-hmm. really, they're, or they find out that, you know, my peer is making twice what I am to do the same job. That's an instant way to say, you know, lack of money is a total demotivator. And so when you look at how to engage employees, how to retain employees, the freedom and flexibility of the, of the fluid employee that we've talked about, you know, certainly pay becomes something that we need to get right and we need mm-hmm. to be more specific about and, when you when you consider how to engage an employee, it's definitely key, uh, along with all of the communication aspects, that there's fair pay and, and fair value for the work that they're doing. Well put. Paul Kirchina, thoughts? Well, a little counter view in, in, in a way. Oh, because, good. I mean, the, some of the current, the current generations coming in, it's not about the pay, and, and I think Duke alluded to that a bit. It's about are you in a company where you feel valued? Are you in a company where you feel it's you know you're making a difference um, in in the world overall, um, you know, and, and a lot of people are trading off pay for more perks, work at home versus you know it's more important to me to have a little more vacation time. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, this is a, a very important topic. There's a, actually, there's a, there's a good book um, called The Gen Z Effect that talks about six forces shaping the, the future of business in our hi- hyper-connected world that, that I highly recommend. Um, can so, you repeat the name of that, Paul? So the book can is called re- The Gen Z Effect, The Six Forces Shaping the Future of Business. Okay, I'm putting that in the chat screen for Dave. Go ahead, yes. So, I mean, it's it, it's a bit complicated. I mean, Bonnie, you mentioned earlier about all the different generations in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all, I don't think, anymore. I mean, back in the 30s or whenever, we had, like, two, only two generations in the workforce. Um, you know, in relation to user experience, I don't think one UI, as one UI fits all, sort of one sort of working arrangement or engagement probably doesn't fit all anymore. Okay. It's almost like flexible benefits. Uh, yep. It's interesting. I, it's interesting you mentioned that book, Paul, because I actually have it in my hand. Um, ironically, <laughs> actually, how Duke and I met is we both spoke at a conference on the future of work recently, and the author of that book actually spoke. And y- yes, yes, there's, there's some variability in that it isn't one size fits all. It was interesting though. Carrie Williard, who works as part of the SAP organization and does a mm-hmm. lot of research on on futuristic work, is is one of the main researchers around generational behavior and some of the myths around actually the new groups coming in is that money doesn't matter. And so while, yes, they want to be connected, money is actually just as important to them as it is to us. There's just other things that are equally important to them. Um, For example, one of the aspects actually that's really critically important to that population is how they are given feedback. So when you look at not only what we were talking about earlier in terms of pay, the expectation they would like formal feedback on a monthly basis. So rather than getting it, you know, at best in many organizations once a year for a few minutes, they would like formal feedback on a monthly basis. Similarly, in the current workforce, high potentials would like the same thing. So when you consider Mm -hmm. how do you engage an employee, absolutely no, it's not pay, and certainly it's how do you engage them with something that they're passionate about. But similarly, it's what's, what's that relationship? You know, how often do you actually communicate and connect with them so that you know they're going to stay and you can retain them? Paul or Duke, any comments on what Carrie just shared with us? Yeah, we just, we just released a, a report February 19th about the millennials and actually a study of millennials, Gen X, and baby boomers. And in the top four reasons for changing jobs, I'll say number one is entering the fast lane, which is about making more money and more creative and innovative environment. Second is shooting for the top, thinking, you know, that they can be a CEO of something, uh, following a heart, you know, doing something for a cause or a passion, and then and saving the world is uh, kind of the social environment. And interestingly enough, baby boomers on the save the, save the world aspect, the, mm-hmm. on the reasons for changing jobs, Baby boomers scored the highest on the saving the world bucket, and millennials uh, second at 13% for, and Gen X at 11%. Uh, but the the really interesting one that entering the fast lane was the number one reason for millennials to to switch jobs. Uh, same with Gen X and baby boomers. So there's more consistency across the generations than than differences. Interesting, as Carrie mentioned. Very much. Boomers being at the top of wanting to save the world. Very interesting. Paul or uh, Carrie, any comments on that? Because I want to move to something in Carrie's notes here, but I just want to wrap that one up. Any any uh, follow-up on that? Anyone? Are we good? We're good. Okay, good. 
Carrie, I'm looking at something very interesting. Let's do a little projecting. We're not ready for the predictions round yet. That's coming up in about, oh, about six or seven minutes. But let's talk about how workers feel about the future. You say here in your notes, as only 50% of workers believe they now have the skills they will need in three years, and only 34% of workers see their company is able to give them the training they need, clearly there's a gap to be filled in talent management and learning. Carrie, talk to me. Sounds very important and not too good. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's you know, I mentioned it earlier, and the challenge is really that we have we've had the luxury of having a fairly static workforce. If you consider the last you know twenty, thirty, forty years where the boomers have filled the workspace, we've had the luxury of having a fairly static population who is fairly predictable. And if we need to replace somebody, we can hire from across industries or within industries other people who are equally experienced or more experienced because that population has been readily available. If you look ahead and you look at the pace of change with technology, the pace with user experience and worker experience that we've been discussing, you have a much different landscape in terms of availability of talent. And so when you think of the fact that people are changing so statistically, the U.S. Department of Labor says that 30% of people change jobs every three years. Not necessarily change companies, but change roles. And so you think Mm. of the change and turnover in an organization from a skill set perspective, that's pretty significant. If you add on to that all the demographic shifts, we have a huge acceleration in terms of change of capabilities. So thinking three years ahead from now, it's pretty reasonable to think, yeah, most people probably don't think they have the right skills. The bigger challenge is we as organizations haven't had to invest the kind of money, time, energy, and and people into creating learning cultures and learning scenarios that support that kind of change because we've been able to sit somebody down side by side and say, work shoulder by shoulder and learn from each other. Mm-hmm. In the next few years, you will have people sitting beside you who are equally a new hire and equally unskilled. And so you don't have the luxury of saying, hey, sit down beside that person in shadow. So the requirement that we have certainly is there. Organizations haven't invested, don't use, to, to Duke's point earlier, don't use the right data to actually measure performance. And if you look at the opportunities, it becomes how do you capture and use technology that is something that provides a great UX, that is something that allows for a fantastic worker experience that can get people up to skill quickly. Thank you. Paul Kirchina, agree? Uh, I agree, and then this is actually one of my favorite topics, and another one of my passions is the future Good. of education. Um, and and, and to, to Carrie's point as well, you know, companies just aren't inventing, investing in training anymore. Um, so the onus is partially individual, the onus as well as us figuring out on other ways to de- deliver training. You know, there's concept out there like flip learning and things like that. How can you sort of, you know, get more out of, out of, out of training? Um, and, and another aspect of this is, is the fact that, um, you know, I'm involved in an initiative with SAP and the University Alliance program around Internet of Things and this thing called Industry 4.0. And, you know, we're engaging with universities on how to get this new, these education on these new capabilities into university students because the universities are lagging behind as well. I mean, um, their curriculum needs a refresh in many aspects to today's world. But not just that, um, as well, the existing people inside the workplace. I know from America's SAP user group side, what we're starting to think about now is we have 100,000-plus members across many different companies in North America. Mm-hmm. How we can, as a user community, really help augment their existing learning inside their corporations. 
Okay, Duke Daling, thoughts? Yeah, that's great, Paul. The when I think about how I learn at home outside of the work, if if something's broken or I need to fix something or invent something, I I go to to Google or YouTube, and there's usually a video of some idiot like me that has already <laughs> done whatever it is I've tried to figure. I'm trying to figure out, and they've posted three minutes of how to do it. And it's so easy now to learn something really quickly and do it yourself. And yet when you go to your learning library or LMS or whatever at work as an employee, it, yeah, you've got this catalog of learning events and you sign up for them or credit card, whatever, and it's just clunky and long and you're in the sheep dip sort of training experience <laughs> that is boring and, and not effective and it's not three minutes and it's not interactive and it doesn't feel as relevant. And I think you'll see more content driven by employees with some level of governance, but more fluid, user-based, user-driven content in the corporate world to make these bite-sized learning moments um, easier and more relevant. Uh, Duke, to, to your point, there's a uh, utility um, called Southern Company, and uh, a friend of mine over there is actually an inside Southern Company. It's creating their own YouTube channel. It's called PowerTube. They have the employees going out, and cameras and things are cheap these days, to film them doing things as they're on the job so other workers can, can learn from those, quote, YouTube-like videos. Interesting. Training has become democratized, perhaps commoditized. Yes. Uh, I think it was Duke who said uh, there are a lot of uh, the I-word like you out there, and you can just go on YouTube and look. I I would say you're certainly different from most of the people I've seen doing their at-home, ad hoc, three-minute training videos, Duke. But it it is a point, a case in point, no matter what I want to do, whether it's how to change a battery in some device I just bought or or it's how to, uh, I don't know, hydroponics if I want to put in a hydroponic garden, whatever it is. I just go on YouTube and I look and I find it and, and more and more workers are going to be doing that. Carrie, any thoughts on this? Find your training from somebody in your company on a private YouTube channel. Is that something you would support and uh, recommend to companies today? Absolutely. And, and actually, when you look at the, the future of learning, very much so the trends that we've talked about in terms of collaboration, crowdsourcing, Open learning, all of those are very present along with the personalization that certainly we've talked about with UX. And so when you look at the, the way we've all become YouTubed and Facebooked, you know, we're used to sourcing from everybody who's our friend the information that we want. We're used to exactly what Duke described, the low fidelity video that is just, hey, watch me do this. And organizations have been very formalized in training and very, been very massive in training. And now it's really very micro. And exactly what Dick described is I want the two minutes, two paragraphs, two sentences. Thank you very much. That's all I want. What's really exciting is technology allows us to do that. So 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, a video is something that took a few weeks to film and needed to be beautiful. And how could you share it? You know, you had to stick it on a CD somehow or on a, a corporate video screen. If you look now, you can absolutely share information constantly and instantly. And I almost think of the, the training team or the center of excellence as, as almost like a gardener, that you put the right tools in your garden and you lay out the parameter and the perimeter of that, but then all of the employees along with the corporate group plant seeds, and everybody has the opportunity to contribute and grow, just like Wikipedia, just like Google, just like YouTube. And so really that open learning concept provides everyone the capability to do that, which they've learned that behavior in a non-work setting, but from a work purpose and a work standpoint, it also allows you to reduce the cost of management. So that self-sufficient behavior of I'll go find the answer, we need to enable that 
by giving people the right tools that have the fantastic user experience we've talked about, but that allow them to contribute in a way that we actually give everyone the right tools, the right information, and the right access. And we get give an opportunity to people, Carrie, to be a star if they really want to, to become an expert in something and to get the accolades or admiration or respect of employees for no, uh, their fellow employees for knowing something they're willing to share. I think there's another added benefit. Guess what? We are down to five minutes till the end of the show, and Carrie knows what that means. I'm going to launch us right now really fast into the predictions round. Paul Kerchina at the ASUG, SAP User Group, Americas. You're up first. Paul, can you? Fast forward this conversation to the year 2020, or what do you see in the crystal ball? I can give you exactly one minute for your prediction. So, Paul Kerchina, go. I see fewer screens, actually, in terms of, you know, our world has always been too fascinated by screen for this, a screen for that, all over the place. Um, and almost more building more intelligence, you're hearing a lot of Internet things, into everyday objects. So, basically, in terms of, you know, you will have, be it your couch, different things in your house, sort of telling you more things versus you having to go through a screen in your, your, your iPhone. I mean, the simple analogy is you keep off Bob for your car. I mean, it's in your pocket. You go in, you open your car, go in, turn it on. Um, you don't need to go through screens to do those things. So I think you'll see more and more intelligence built into just everyday things in our life. So that will change the level of interaction quite considerably. Love it. Thank you very much. Duke Daling, IBM, one-minute predictions, go. It may not feel like it, but statistically, we're living in the most peaceful, productive, healthy time in recorded history. There's fewer deaths by destruction, fewer diseases, fewer disasters, and world poverty is trending down. I'm predicting that literacy will continue to be on the increase. Information and education will be turning more countries on their ear. My prediction is that these things will continue, and the global pattern for the next 10 years will be unprecedented economic growth, not without some hiccups in specific segments. But the outcomes related to the, to the workplace will be very amazing. Uh, computing will change to an era called cognitive computing beyond artificial intelligence, where all machines have artificial intelligence and the seamless integrations that Paul mentioned with APIs and integrations being instant where things just work. And the workplace will see much more automation and tracking. Some of it will be scary, like facial recognition, voice recognition, text recognition to ensure compliance and performance and tracking. But good companies will use this for education, engagement, and enlightenment. Um, and my hopes that uh, we also continue to heal and grow as compassionately as possible rather than uh, just fiscal and military might. Although I really like movies with post-apocalyptic dystopia. Uh, that's, uh, that's just me. Now we know more about you. Maybe too much. Carrie uh, Brown, I saved exactly one minute for you. Predictions, go. My prediction is actually that, that if I bring together the, the optimism of where Dig started and the simplicity of, of Paul is that the personalization and the intelligence of technology will ensure that we have exactly what we want to do what we want without even having to ask for it. So we will see for sure the intelligence of all of the, the items and the things that live within and around us, bringing us really a fantastic living experience based on user experience being so intuitive, and it's really not us as a worker, but us as a person. And so my expectation is that there's almost a, a psychic ability for technology that will present us with what we need when we need it. 
Thank you. Very well put. Very eloquent. To my listeners, if you like what you hear here, I've never said it quite this way before. If you like the idea of refreshing business talk, of non-selling conversation, of thought leaders like Paul Kerchina at SAP, ASUG, Duke Daling at IBM, Kerry Brown at SAP, if you like the idea that we bring smart people together to talk with their passion, their engagement, their energy, their interest, their savvy, their smarts, their expertise on a topic of interest to your business, then I have good news for you. We have 10 different series now. We have Digital World with Game Changers and Transforming Your Business with Game Changers on Tuesdays. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, we have Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, Business Innovation with Game Changers, and Game Changing Women. Great show next Tuesday coming up. Wednesday, you know I'm always here with Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern. Wednesday afternoon, this is wrapping up. I think we've just wrapped up, or next week, our Wednesday afternoon, we're going to shift some series and Thursday mornings, we always have Future Business with Game Changers, Innovating Innovation, and we're starting a new series called Meet the Visionary Game Changers. So if you like what you see, go to the voiceamerica.com website, look in the calendar, everywhere you see a coffee cup, you'll see a Game Changers series. Thank you again to Paul Kerchina, Duke Daling, and Kerry Brown. Wonderful conversation. Shout out to one of my favorite series sponsors, Dave Fowler. Great tweets. Katie Mosier, good to see you on Twitter as well. We tweet at hashtag SAP Radio. And of course, a thank you to our newly married in his new life with his beautiful bride, Brad Comer at Voice America World Talk Radio and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. That's the end of my broadcast week. I'll see you next Tuesday with Digital World with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.